We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to a special Monday edition of the Rotowire College Football Podcast. It is Monday, November 8th. Uh, we are in the wake of week 10 of the college football season. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Rotowire's head honcho of college football content, the guru himself, uh, John McKechnie. Uh, this is our first Monday recap episode of the season. Obviously, we're more than halfway through, uh, but we wanted to switch it up a little bit, go a little bit lighter uh, with our Wednesday or Thursday preview, uh, and then try to, to do a lot of the recapping on this podcast and, and have two episodes out. Uh, throughout the course of the week instead of going long with one uh, later in the week. So we'll see how it goes. It's a work in progress. If you have any feedback, you know, shout us out in the comments uh, on your podcast app. Shout us out on Twitter. Um, we're, we're open to, to whatever works best as far as uh, getting our audience the content that you guys want with regard to college football. But Jonathan, a great week in college football. We went into this one thinking it was it was a good week, not a great week on paper. Um, I, I think a lot of these games that maybe we thought would be blowouts ended up not being blowouts. We had a a game in the ACC that produced 113 total points. Uh, the, the mighty Wake Forest Demon Deacons went down in that one. Cincinnati got pushed at home by Tulsa. Um, where do you want to begin? Yeah, um, gosh, that that Wake Forest UNC game. You know, a lot of the times, you know, every week there, there's a game that's circled as like the the chalk. You know, the one that's going to be uh, the the one that draws the most attention for DFS, and it doesn't always uh, live up to the hype. But this one did did it and then some you know we the the total was like 76 obviously blew past that uh by a significant margin and and there's just fantasy goodness everywhere i mean it the one guy that kind of didn't live up to to the expectations was, was josh downs on, on unc uh top price receiver on the board he didn't quite uh get to where uh, his investors would have hoped but uh a howl Hartman and Ty Chandler combo from this game. Maybe if you had A.T. Perry as well, really set you up for the rest of the day. So that that was a good shock for sure. It 
too bad to see uh you know Wake Forest kind of get eliminated from from the playoff picture. I wanted to to see you know the committee kind of have to answer the the Wake Forest question eventually, but they they kind of took themselves out of it. But um, I think to me that the biggest surprise or the most impactful result from the weekend uh, was Michigan State losing to Purdue. And I, I don't know if you got this sense as well by but by the time like Saturday morning rolled around, it felt almost like it was written in stone that the, like the way the game day was talking about it and the way that just mm-hmm. Twitter discourse was, it was like Michigan state was walking into its own funeral. And it was strange to see an undefeated Michigan state team kind of get talked about that way. And that, and, and ultimately came to fruition. Yeah. And this game was close throughout, you know, it wasn't really until later in the second half uh, that Purdue pulled away and you kind of started to see that this was really going to happen. Um, but, but a sloppy game, I thought for Michigan state, starting with that fumble, on the first drive. Um, but, but I, I didn't feel like Purdue played a perfect game either. I mean, it was, it was a, a really nice game for, for Aiden O'Connell, who's had some very high highs and, and plenty of lows as well this year, kind of a weird, weird player to evaluate. Um, but, but Purdue, I mean, they're back in the top 25 now. I, I have no idea really how to evaluate this team. Um, you know, they, they played uh, Notre Dame tough early in the season. Uh, obviously they had that win over Iowa. I mean, they, they've beaten at the time, the number two and now the number three ranked teams, in the country. Like Purdue has as good of wins as anybody, uh, but you know, you're barely squeaking by Nebraska. Um, you know, you're losing to Minnesota. You're barely squeaking by Illinois. Uh, they're, they're just a, a really, really strange team, but two top three wins on the season for the Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, one, of, one of the underratedly weird things about this college football season. Yeah. It, and uh, you know, I, I wish they weren't ranked coming into this weekend because I feel like they only can pull off the the crazy upset when they're not ranked. And, and the second that you get expectations, mm-hmm. you get what happened to them against Wisconsin. So um, I would have liked to see an unranked Purdue team going in, into Columbus this weekend. I, I would have given them a better chance. But but now they're ranked, it, it, uh, they're, they're toast, obviously, for, for this weekend. But but no, cre- credit to them. They've had some crazy wins. I tweeted out on Saturday. Being a Purdue fan has to be just such a disorienting experience. But, right. I mean, hey, like – if you're a program at that level, upsets are kind of like your Super Bowl, like because you're you're more likely than not really going to be competing for for conference championships or um, a playoff spot or anything. But getting those marquee wins that that can just like make your whole week, make your whole season, like that that's what you're going for. And Purdue's gotten two of them now. All right, let's go to Ohio State, Nebraska. Uh, another kind of weird game for Ohio State. They hang on, they get the victory, twenty six to seventeen. Uh, this one at Nebraska. Um, I, I had a lot of questions about some of the decision making down the stretch in this game uh, by the Nebraska offense specifically. Uh, I, I thought this game was was very much there for the taking as far as potentially pulling this upset at home. And and ultimately, credit to Ohio State for finishing it out. But I, I thought late in this game, Nebraska was in position to to make this a lot more interesting than it ended up being. And and given all that we know about this program and about how things have gone. Under Scott Frost, this is probably the result that you'd ultimately expect. I, I thought it was interesting. Like right before we hopped on here, uh, we saw a, a public showing of support from the Nebraska AD who announced that Scott Frost is still our guy. Uh, however, we are going to restructure his contract going forward. And, and maybe you have more details on that than I do. I, I don't know exactly what that's going to entail, uh, but it was essentially confirming that, you know, while we are quote unquote confident in Scott Frost, uh, we, we do realize that there are some questions here and we need to acknowledge it. Yeah, he, he's not quote unquote winning these games, so that that eventually becomes a hard thing to pay for to just uh, you know a, a program that holds itself in in the esteem that Nebraska does. Uh, 
uh, close is not enough when, when it comes to these big mm-hmm. games. And, and, you know, they they played Michigan close earlier this year. They've been in close against good teams at, at various points of the season or various points of Scott Frost's tenure. And yet, the you know, it doesn't really show up in the win column very much. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, on the other side with Ohio State, it wasn't a great game from them, of course, but they, they survived and advanced it. I still think this is a, a decent Nebraska team so that they aren't the pushovers or, or paper tigers that they were uh, maybe when Ohio State went in, into Lincoln like two years ago and that game was over at, by the end of the first quarter type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that at the same time, Ohio State isn't as good as they were um, that season. Uh, they didn't have Garrett Wilson on Saturday, but Jackson Smith and Jigba really stepped up. Uh, school record, 15 receptions in that one, over 200 yards. Uh, pretty crazy day from him. Uh, a lot of just kind of crazy individual receiver performances that this week, to a quick tangent. So in addition to him staying in the Big Ten, Jahan Dotson, 11 grabs for 242 and three touchdowns against Maryland. He was a guy that that we liked for, for DFS this past mm-hmm. week. He really uh, went nuts. Um, and then uh, the, the star of Maction, and there were many stars of Maction, but Trayvon Rudolph. 14 grabs for 309 and three touchdowns uh, as well. And, and Jack Sorensen in the in the action for Miami of Ohio, 283 yards in, in a pair of touchdowns. So Smith and Jigba, uh, one of many just absurd uh, receiver performances this week. Yeah, we didn't even mention David Bell, too, right? in, in that yeah. Purdue game. 11 for 217 and a touchdown. Uh, we, we saw Wisconsin a couple weeks ago uh, really shut him down. But in both of their upsets, he's had monster games. Yeah, yeah, he's he's really the key to that offense. Like because Aiden O'Connell is is just not great, but when things are working in Purdue's offense to where David Bell is even a little bit open, mm-hmm. then you know that that makes Purdue a very dangerous offense because David Bell is truly one of the best receivers uh, in college football this year, and really kind of has been for for the last couple of years. But um, right. in, in addition, or just kind of rounding it out with, with Ohio State. They got it done. They, they still have everything in front of them with with, with quality wins to, to notch here the rest of the way. They got Michigan State in, in a couple weeks. Obviously, that that's not as big nowadays, but still uh, something. And then Michigan looming at, at the very end of the season. So um, I still think Ohio State's a, an extremely good team. And, and uh, yeah. you know, with the way that this week sh- uh, shook out, um, I, I think that they could be challenging to be in the top four when the rankings come out this week. Maybe they end up staying the same, though, with, with – um, with Oklahoma boosting up, we'll see. Yeah, I I really don't have too many questions about Ohio State. It, it for me, this was just a, a a day where Ohio State really didn't show up in the in the way that we're used to, and I thought it was there for Nebraska to notch what would have been a much much needed signature win for Scott Frost. And and I mean, the drive that I'm really referring to was the that 11 plays. You know, you're you're finally moving the ball, and you get all the way down, you know, into the red zone. And I, I thought they should have gone for it. They had a fourth and four at the 13 after three consecutive plays where you're like first two, you just run it into the line. You know, you gain a couple yards incomplete on third down. I'm like I, just throw the ball please. And and then you, you know, you get into an obvious passing situation. It's incomplete. I thought they should have gone for it at home fourth and four on the Ohio state 13. Uh, instead they, they opt to kick. And at that point it would have made it a three point game and you missed a 31 yarder. And, and as soon as that missed, you, you, you just kind of knew this wasn't going to go their way. No, hundred percent. Yeah. The, like Nebraska should should have known by the, by that point in the game to not trust its kicking unit and to just kind of keep its foot on the gas and, and do what it can yeah. uh, to to use Adrian Martinez and his mobility to to keep the chains moving because yeah Contreras going one for three 
Uh, and that's definitely not the first time he's missed some kicks this year. I mean, it's just been uh, brutal uh, for Nebraska as far as trying to to uh, leave drives with at least some points. It's it's really been tough. So so yeah, like like you said there, that that was really a, a key critical sequence that um, once again just didn't end up going in Nebraska's way. So we mentioned you know Aiden O'Connell AOC with his 536 yards, three touchdowns. Purdue might own the two best wins in the Big Ten, uh, but Illinois now owns wins over both Penn State and Minnesota uh, after holding on for a just ridiculously ugly, sloppy 14-6 to <laughs> win on Saturday. Uh, Brandon Peters finished this game 7-9 of nine for 80 yards and a touchdown. But, hey, no picks. Two picks on the other side for Tanner Morgan. Yeah, that's efficiency from Brandon Peters. That's all you can hope for, really. So, just yeah, that that's an ideal game for, for this Illinois team is just throw it less than 10 times, just – run the clock out, get a couple of touchdowns and, and see what happens from there. And, and yeah, Minnesota w- was definitely one of those teams that, that caught the most side eye um, for their ranking after last week, especially with like an unranked UTSA team sitting out there who who crushed again th- this weekend. So, um, yeah, Minnesota, that, that was just like an obvious, these guys aren't going to be in the top 25 for long. I didn't think that they would lose to to uh, Illinois, and, and they were two touchdown favorites in this one, so that's that's bad. Um, but at, at no point have I really believed in this Minnesota team. All right, where do you want to go next? Uh, let, let's see here. So um, I, I want to get to the SEC night window. So so the, the entertaining game from Saturday night was not LSU-Bama, it was Tennessee and Kentucky, which was absurd. So Tennessee, um, their time of possession, 13 minutes and 52 seconds in a game that they scored 45 points in. So that they basically did what Wake Forest did a couple weeks ago against Army, where they just scored every single time they had the ball. They averaged on like just short of 10 yards per play over the course of that game. So 47 plays, 461 total yards of offense, just absurd, just Kentucky could not stop them. But then on the other side, Kentucky possessed the ball so much that Tennessee's defense got worn down. I mean, 99 plays you have to defend on the other side of that one. That's definitely going to wear on you after a while. So even though Kentucky wasn't as nearly as efficient with 6.2 yards per play, I mean, holding the ball for 46 minutes is, is going to keep you in, in any game, basically. Um, so it was a close one. It was a really fun, exciting game. And the, the DFS implications from that were, were great. Uh, Hendon Hooker w- was awesome. And then on the other side, Wondale Robinson continues to be a total stud, especially in PPR formats. Big night from from Will Levis um, uh, of the, the Kentucky quarterback. So that was a fun one. But uh, yet another um, ranked loss uh, that, that uh, we saw this week to an unranked team. And, you know, coming up, uh, here we got Tennessee against Georgia. We'll unpack this one a little bit more uh, in the preview show later this week. But, uh, you know, Tennessee, for, for all their warts, man, that they, they are really fun and really um, efficient on offense. Yeah, Tennessee, four touchdown drives in this game with three plays or fewer. Uh, insane. I mean, you mentioned the, the time of possession discrepancy is, is kind of the main stat that, that you want to look at for this one uh, to, get, to get a view of, of how that transpired. But easily the most entertaining game in the late window for the SEC. Um, LSU-Bama, kind of a letdown. I mean, Alabama winning this one 20-14, to 14, probably not the result uh, most expected in terms of the score. But uh, this Alabama running game, very concerning uh, to, to, to rush for six yards on 26 carries in this game. And that's counting 22 yards of sack yardage uh, for Bryce Young. But still, um, you know, unable to get anything going with Brian Robinson. 
Uh, Bryce Young, nice game through the air, got over 300 yards, 24 of 37. But I, this this was a, an uncharacteristic uh, type of game from Alabama. And I still, you know, we, we mentioned this on the on the Thursday show last week, John, like there's still that Alabama aura where no matter what, no matter how bad they might look, you still don't want to play this team. But more close calls than we're used to uh, at this point in the season for an Alabama team. Yeah, I mean, usually the like, you know, they're they're getting the respect in Vegas, you know, like that they were 28 and a half point favorites going into this one didn't even score 28 points. Um, they just let LSU hang around. So, yeah, they, they usually the Bama team will just kind of boat race a team that that it's supposed to like it, it's very rare that it doesn't even come close to, to covering their spread to, to that extent. So, yeah, that like you said, the the offense had to become kind of one dimensional that the offense got hot for a little while and then LSU kind of caught back up to them. And, you know, they were able to LSU was just kind of able to hang around like the LSU had chances to actually win that game, which, which is crazy to think about They they got some long runs that they got some conversions and they really made it a close game all the way to the end. So it, at least you can say that from like a, a fan perspective that it was an entertaining game. But yeah, I mean, if you're looking at this as for, you know, what it means big picture wise for Alabama, you know, you, you still th- consider them one of the four best teams in, in college football, of course, but it is strange to see them having struggled against, you know, teams that have proven to not be very good. And I'm speaking specifically, of course, about like the Florida game and, and now this LSU game. And this one was at home. Right. Bama did not score for the final 28 minutes after that long touchdown to Jamison Williams early in the third quarter, it scored all of its points within like five minutes of game time. You know, it was like the final three minutes of the second and then that first drive to open the third. So long droughts. I mean, they did not score at all in the first quarter. Uh, Alabama finished on its last five drives, punt, 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 fumble, punt. And every single one of those possessions ending in a punt was a three and out. Yeah. I mean, it it was, it was crazy. Uh, It was almost like uh, what am I seeing uh, type of deal where, where this Alabama offense just could not sustain any sort of offensive momentum in this, in the second half. Very, very strange. Um, I'm more inclined to, to consider that a hiccup as we get into the later parts of the season. But um, I will say that I don't think it's impossible that Alabama loses another game before the end of the season. Yeah. Well, they'll be tested next week, New Mexico state. Comes in 51 and a half point dogs at My Alabama God. on Saturday. The eight and one Crimson Tide against the one and eight uh, New Mexico State. What, what is their Aggies. mascot? Do you know? They are the Aggies. The Aggies. Okay. Yes. Looking at uh, ESPN's FPI, uh, we got a 0.1% chance of New Mexico State pulling this one off. So uh, make sure we that might be too there. high. Yeah, tune, tune into the Thursday show and we'll give our pick on that plus 51 and a half number uh, for NMSU. Uh, what else do we have to hit here? Do you want, do you want to go to the dog report? 43 to six number one Georgia over Missouri uh not a ton to see from this one uh no I mean it, it was uh the second time this year that um a coach uh on the other team ha- has tried to score late in the game when there was nothing really to be playing for that you know so Georgia had to do like a little goal line stand at the end just to preserve uh the no touchdown for for the entire game going up uh, against Missouri, but otherwise not, not a lot to um to unpack from that one but that I think that this game on uh on Saturday night in Knoxville is going to be very, very entertaining. 20, 20 and a half point favorites. I think the dogs are, but um, should be a good one there. Um, Texas is super dead in the water. It's crazy that, you know, they lost 30 to seven and pretty much got choked out throughout and also had um, 
Bijan Robinson leave that game with, with a neck strain. So that's hopefully that he'll be good to go for this week. Um, but yeah, the Texas, I can't believe that the type of skid um, that they're on. And then uh, just sort of like a, uh, and Baylor, of course, losing to TCU. That was another one that, that sort started to get some gambling buzz. Like, Oh, I, I like TCU in the spot. And I, and I'd be like, why? But at the same time, people, people were into it and they ended up being correct. So I guess, Fading Baylor, what was the correct play um, in that one? And then uh, just a, a kind of stray observation. This is from, from the latter part of Saturday night. But USC is like uh, like the person at the party that no one really knows that still like needs to do everything it can to, to make itself the center of attention. Like nobody cares about USC this year. They are completely like inconsequential. And yet they still feel the need to have this like dramatic quarterback uh, rotation where um, the the interim coach said going into halftime like oh uh, Jackson Dart's going to start the second half and then it was Keaton Slow was like oh you got us you got us good that uh, oh you lost thirty one to sixteen and and scored six points in the second half well uh, very interesting of of you guys to to be rotating your quarterbacks and like just publicly sabotaging your your own team and embarrassing yourself in public so uh, USC uh, shame on you. And uh, also Auburn losing to AM and in, in what was a very boring game. I don't think there were any offensive touchdowns in that one, 20 to three. But, um, you know, Texas A&M uh, still has uh, some things it, you know, working in its favor here as we get down the stretch. Uh, I just have a couple more items on my list and then we'll we'll get out of here. Uh, re- returning to the Georgia game real quickly. I know this is not news to you, but for, for more national fans, I, I think Brock Bowers has a, has a chance to be like an all time uh, SEC, you know, when we're doing this podcast 30 years from now, he's somebody that we start the show with, you know, the Brock Bowers of college football podcast. Like there's, <laughs> there's just something about that guy that like, I, I have a feeling he's going to be like, whether, whether he has a successful NFL career, we'll see. Um, but that there, he's going to be a very memorable college player. He's on my radar. He's dude. He's, he's just like a guy that loves to mosh the second right. that he catches the ball. Like he's, he's got it with bad intentions. He's very much like George Kittle in that respect. So yeah. Uh, Kittle obviously plays all, so hard; it's it almost becomes a detriment because he gets hurt so much. But I mean, yeah, Browers to be doing what he's doing as as a freshman is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, he's one of those guys that I, I just like. How, how did like in high school he had to just be so dominant? And I'm yeah. sure you know more about that than me. But it's like if he's this dominant as a freshman in the SEC, like what does his high school tape look like? And like his shoulder pads are like twenty percent bigger than they should be. Like he, yes. he looks like he's. He looks like he's straight out of like a, a game that you'd be watching on SEC Network from like 2002. Yeah, yeah, he, like he went to he went to like yeah the the equipment room equipment room that has since been like bricked over and replaced by by the new equipment room. But he like bust through the wall and found some shoulder pads that like Herschel Walker used to wear or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, we touched on Cincinnati a little bit at the top, but we should acknowledge um, the the Bearcats. They should have lost. They should have lost. They are very lucky to still be undefeated, and that would have that would have ended, I think, what's probably the most compelling story right now in college football, especially as you know we kind of lose a, a contender. It seems like every single week uh, to some of these upsets, but like the Cincinnati debate, I, I think, has probably been like the number one national topic. I, I think you know even mm-hmm. people who don't necessarily like follow college football day in and day out at least have an opinion on whether Cincinnati should be included, and we are very close to just ending that argument uh, altogether in this one. I mean that when uh, when Ritter fumbled at the goal line, I, I was like, "Oh my god!" Because they mm-hmm. they had just had a goal line stand to to kind of it's like, "Okay, breathe, like you're, we're good, yep. we're we're out of this." 
and then you fumble and then it's like how, oh my lord like that how many how many lives do these bearcats have you know because they've played other close games maybe not quite right. this close but man yeah and tulsa is not good like tulsa has shown up against an, an ohio state earlier this season or stuff like that but man that i mean that would have yeah it, it everyone knows that cincinnati has no margin for error and and you know for them to to get the spotlight get the recognition get the respect you know get game day at, at cincinnati on campus you know okay guys like your center stage do something and for them to really almost lose to a bad team is uh that shakes my confidence a bit in, in the bearcats here yeah yeah it really does this was a, a big time style point opportunity for Cincinnati that that was squandered there and on the Tulsa note I mean they their results are bizarre this year like they yes. have played some good teams really closely but you are officially uh, in the Nick Whalen pool you are disqualified from being a good team if you lose to UC Davis <laughs> that's right yeah they got trucked in the opener week in one opener. yeah that's right god you know, uh, thank God for for them that Washington exists because uh, Washington lost to Montana that weekend and things haven't gotten a whole lot better uh, for uh, Jimmy well, I mean, and company. That that is the the one final item I have on my list is is Washington. Um, it feels like Oregon had just played the same game that it's played every other game this year. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you, you you win by multiple scores. It, it doesn't look pretty, uh, but but here we are with the Ducks still very firmly in playoff contention now. Um, you know, they put up fifty two on Colorado last week, but. This one was was pretty emblematic of like the performances we saw against Cal, uh, the game against UCLA. Um, you know, obviously they they still have one of the best wins in the country, winning at Ohio State. But man, they're uh, they've they've kind of been on that same treadmill that Oklahoma's found itself on for like eighty percent of its season. Yeah, no, I, I love that comparison. I mean, you know, to to win a game with under a hundred passing yards when you're not a triple option team, like that's kind of crazy uh the Oregon just kind of has has the luxury of of bludgeoning teams this way because the way that crystal ball is recruited they just have bigger dudes that they can just play that bully ball style and and generally it works um but yeah it's not going to result in, in a lot of pretty um overall performances so um you still have to like Oregon's chances uh the rest of the way um they got Washington State coming up this week they, they go to Utah that that could be pretty tricky and then obviously uh, they finished the season against the Beavs. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, three non-cupcake teams the, the rest mm -hmm. of the way. This was probably the easiest game that they were going to have left. Um, if they keep playing this ugly style, we'll see if they're able to to make it through November uh, still with, with just the one loss. Well, what is your gut feeling on that? Do they make it through? They got Washington State at Utah and then home for Oregon State to finish out. Uh, does Oregon make it through that unscathed? I'll say it now. They're gonna lose to Utah. Oof, oof. I mean, I, will is. they even be? Will they be firmly favored in that game? Oh, uh, they should be favored by at least a touchdown. I would imagine, like, provided that they both take care of business th this coming yeah. week. Um, I, I think that Oregon still probably gets you know seven and a half, eight and a half, nine and a half, something like that. Okay. On the road, that that would be impressive. Um, especially with you know the, the the more that they continue to stack these these iffy performances. Um, all right, man. Anything else from this week you want to hit on our way out? That, that's about it. Uh, Florida lost to South Carolina and got absolutely dominated uh, along the way. Um, but I, I think no better note to leave on uh, than that. But yeah, it was, a, it was a fun, funky weekend for, for college football. Um, a lot of ranked teams losing, uh, some taking care of business. And again, we, we, we're kind of in a spot where it's like, who's good? You know, and yeah. uh, again, we'll, we'll get 
a weekend like this one to to kind of get some further clarity. But I do kind of feel like this is just sort of a musical chairs uh, of teams right now where we where they are at one point, they're not going to be in a, in a few weeks. And there, there's just going to be some some serious variance over the over the course of the, you know, the, the next few weeks. I think, you know, Bama just crushes it. Um, it's next conference opponent. Then, then the sins of this past Saturday get forgiven, that type of thing. So we'll we'll see how it goes from here. But um, yeah, I, I think pretty much every team outside of Georgia has shown at least a fatal flaw, and Georgia still arguably has theirs that they just haven't had to pay for it yet with their with the way that they're rotating their quarterbacks. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, the, the quarterback situation is still an issue. Um, I, I mean, it's like you said, it, it really hasn't been nearly as much of an issue as as you you probably thought it might be, but you have to be feeling pretty good about the dogs, man. Like the musical chairs uh, analogy is apt because I mean, not only do you, do we still have really no idea who the other three teams in the playoff are going to be, but like, I still think Alabama sneaks in. This might be the weakest Alabama team that we've seen in you know quite some time. And in Ohio state, very much flawed relative to its normal, uh, you know, two way teams that they're rolling out. I mean, Oregon, we're, we're talking about maybe not even surviving this Oklahoma. Uh, even that offense doesn't look nearly as potent as it has the last few years. Like it, for, for the major question mark that Georgia has at quarterback, you still got to be feeling really, really good because normally, normally there are two or three teams in that tier where you're like, you know, these, yeah. these teams are rolling. Like the dogs are clearly, clearly the number one team in the country. I, I don't think that there has been this big of a gap between number one and whichever team ends up being number two in quite some time. And part of that is, you know, the dominance of Clemson, the dominance of Alabama, but um, good timing by the dogs to, to have their best season under Kirby smart at a time when seemingly every other program is at least semi down uh, relative to what we've been used to. That's right, man. I mean, I, I was, we were talking about it coming into the year and it was like that it, the path is there for Georgia just based on the fact that Trevor Lawrence has gone from Clemson. We don't know everything about DJU and, and obviously that that's proven out poorly. Um, Bama, you know, that they're losing a lot in addition to just Mac Jones. I mean, the, the receivers and everything, that's a lot to, to restock and, and to just put on Bryce Young uh, in his first year starting. So yeah, th- this felt like the the year to, to do it. And uh, so far that the George has absolutely put itself in, in that position right now, but big game this weekend. Absolutely, man. All right. We'll break it down uh, the week ahead later this week on Thursday. Looking forward to that, John, and uh, enjoy these next few days. All righty. You do the same, brother. Thank you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.